Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Have you ever sat down to have a conversation with somebody and you were just so interested and enthralled with the conversation that you totally lost track of time? Yep, me too. That's what happened in my conversation with my most recent podcast guest, Mayu Lunakund. We sat down to talk about her big adventurous life and all of the ups and downs that have come along with it. Because she's got so many adventure stories and tips that I don't want you guys to miss out on, I'm going to be splitting our conversation into two parts. Today, you get to enjoy part one of our conversation, where we talk about her unexpected start in sled dog sports and how she left her home country to pursue her new dreams, how she spent her off time traveling and living with her dogs in a van, and how she prepared herself for some pretty big life changes and adventures. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Positively Dog Powered. As you all know by now, we talk about all things sled dog sport related. And one thing that comes up quite a bit is all of our sprint races and mid-distance and long-distance races. But something we don't talk about quite as often are these other facets of how we can enjoy the outdoors with our dogs. And today, that is what we're going to be talking about. And we've got a perfect guest to do that with. Our guest is Mayu Lunakund. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting that people are interested in uh, these like different kinds of dog sports and I'm super into it. So I'm happy to talk about it and uh, trail other people into it as well. Hopefully we'll get some other people inspired today to get out on the trails in some new ways with their dogs. And we've got a lot of topics on our agenda for today from backpacking and van life and long winter through hikes. But before we dive into that, do you mind introducing yourself to our podcast listeners and sharing a little bit about how you got started in dogs? So hello, everybody. Um, My name is Mayu and I well, it's hard to put a title on me because I do so many different things and like I'm a little nomad in the life. Uh, so at the moment, I work as a sled dog musher in Sweden and I have worked with the sled dogs for three years now. Other than that, I do some office work. I do some social media. I do some YouTube I do some art, so a little bit of everything. But at the moment, I am just uh, enjoying the winter in Sweden with the sled dogs. And in the summertime, I travel around uh, in my va- in my van with my dogs and uh, try to paint as much as I can. Now, is this something that was kind of in your family or a friend? How did you get started in sled dog sports? Oh, uh, there was nothing in my family. And I actually had zero idea you can actually be a sled dog musher. This kind of uh, profession didn't exist in my mind at all. Because in Estonia, we do have some sled dog kennels, but they're very small and they they are very hobby based because you can't really do a lot of things because of the lack of the snow and the season is just so short. So I never, never even thought about it and never met any sled dogs and so on but in 2018 I participated or 
try to get a spot on this uh, big uh, event that the clothing company and gear company Fjallraven does, the Fjallraven Polar. So I applied there. Actually, it was like a, a whim of a decision. I thought I'm never going to get there, but it doesn't matter. At least I will try. That's my motto for everything. And whenever somebody asks, what's the recommendation? Like, what, what, how do you encourage people? And it's like, just, just apply, just do, it doesn't matter. If you lose, you lose. If you win, then at least you gave it a shot, you know? Um, so I just applied. And uh, after a month of a long, like voting journey, because at that time the event was the voting based, but because of Estonia, it's really simple. So if you do, Estonia is really small. If you, if you do something, you, it's very easy to stand out because it's only 1.3 million people living in Estonia. So it's smaller than some bigger cities, you know, in the entire country. Uh, so I got the spot in Fjallraven Polar that happened in April 2019. And that was my first contact with Sled Dogs. So we did a four-day trip with uh, everybody had six team dogs like a dog team with six dogs and we got the introduction and basically I was a guest or I was I was the participant we had a guide and all of this event happened it was very fun uh, and at the end of the event I had one of my teammates casually mentioning it actually already in the airport when we were coming back that, oh, by the way, I will gonna try to get the spot as a sled dog guide here next year or next season. And I was like, what? It is possible? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I was talking to one of my guides and uh, she said that it's totally possible because it's hard work, long days, cold, especially in Kiruna, which is above the Arctic Circle. So it's polar nights, a lot of minus degrees and so on. And not a lot of <clears throat> locals wanna do it. Uh, so they always are searching for people who want to do it and they are willing to teach you out or like uh, uh, train you, train you. And then I, by that point, I was already super tired of my like office life. I was uh, full time doing just computer stuff. I was uh, burned out already. Actually, two years ago, I was like slowly on the recovery process, but I was still like very fed up from the computer work or just sitting in an office, actually. Like, I, I enjoy computer work now when I can do it wherever I please. But the office, office uh, situation was very demoralizing for me. So I already had decided by that time that I want to do something outdoors or some outdoor work. And uh, I was searching for some options, and I thought, OK, I will give this a try. I wrote a, a bunch of um, kennels. I actually went to TripAdvisor, typed in Kiruna, Sweden, and typed in stock setting, took the first 10 companies that popped up to send them an email. I'm interested, let me know. So about those 10 emails, I think three of them wrote back. Of those three, we had two phone discussions with two of them, and then one offered uh, like a good position. So again, just write, ask, and somebody maybe answers and if not then you know it wasn't meant to be uh, but that was on in September 2019 was the first time that I set 
foot into a proper kennel and started to do autumn training there. And they, you know, spent all of these months uh, teaching us how to do it because there were two other guides who were new as well. So we were like a little group. So that's how I got into dog sledding. And I did two seasons near Kiruna. Then I took a year break because I was, I, I did really long seasons. So from September to April, um, and uh, I was very tired <laughs> of the dogs and of guests and all of this, like tourism, because it's tourism, you know? Uh, and I took a break, built a van, drove around in Europe with the van. And then now I'm back for my third season but now in more southern part and in a smaller kennel and just just for my own fun because I basically I just wanted snow and that was something that I was like yeah I can do dog setting on the side as well <laughs> so that's a long story of how I got into dog setting and of course before that okay I had one dog uh, that I adopted from uh, rescue in 2016 so when I was still working in an office, but she was an, a little bit older and I did some hikes with her in Estonia when I started hiking out my little Luna, but she just decided that she doesn't want to hike with me anymore. And when I did, uh, when I went for my first season uh, for dog sledding, we decided that I will not take her with me because all of the new dogs and she's not very she wasn't very outdoorsy dog anymore. She really wanted to stay inside. Uh, I left her at my mother's place back in Estonia. And after I came back from my first season, uh, we saw that she sort of chose my mother over me. And it's like, okay. So anyway, she is my mother's dog now. But I did start out like hiking with dogs with her. So that was a very beautiful start to my companionship because it was a it was a really nice thing to do because most of my things that I do uh, are alone and to have this companionship as with a dog it's very very special was it hard for you to transition from maybe having that one dog and kind of doing your own thing to then being responsible for the care of so many new dogs in a brand new place so it was definitely a transition I because uh, the dog that I had, Luna, she was from a rescue and she was a little nervous. So I I did have to do a lot of work with her. So I thought I knew a lot. I was like, I have had a dog. I've gone hiking with her. She's nervous. I've done training. And then, of course, the kennel life is totally different. How you start to train the dogs with the pack. And you are, you are not the one who is feeding them treats, but you are the one who is pulling the ropes in the pack. So the pack behaves like you want them to behave. Um, so that was definitely a transition. And my boss was very gentle with me because before I went there, I was like, yeah, 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 I know dogs, everything is good. But I, I think uh, deep down below, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She will learn in two weeks that her previous experience is like so small. Because the first kennel I worked at, we had 120 dogs. So it, it, it was quite, quite a transition. But I really loved it because I think it's so exciting to work with a group of dogs. Because 
now having my own dogs, having this personal relationship where I want them to do something, it's more like this training tradition, traditional or like what you see on TikTok, Instagram, whatever. But working with a pack, uh, it's so it's so much more exciting. It's like different levels. Like, how do you treat them together? What are you allowing? What are you not allowing? And also, if I want one certain dog to behave one certain way, who will I use to make him or her work that way? Really exciting stuff. So I learned a lot. I think that the learning curve was like straight up. Yeah, it definitely is different from a training standpoint when you're looking at lessons that you are teaching the dog versus lessons that you're using the other dogs around you to be kind of coaches and teachers for those younger dogs. And so I can imagine that, like you mentioned, having to choose which dog is the best dog to kindly teach this lesson, right? And to be fair. Um, but I think exactly. that, that associative learning that they can get from one another can be a really powerful tool in kind of not only that day-to-day life around the kennel, but then also out on the trails. Yeah, because then they actually learn, like they they have their own communication and they understand uh, versus me just, you know, making an angry noise and saying that I don't like that. But it, it, it is different kind of uh, learning. And you can see that it's it's super. And I think one part is, okay, how they behave in a pack, but the other part is how do you train lead dogs because that's another world. And then you you have more of a hand in it, but you still need them to work with the team and then start to develop lead dogs when they're young and you are the one who is deciding which kind of challenge they get, when to pull back, when to give more, to push them over that edge a little bit. And then again, who do you put next to that young lead dog so they have the optimal experience? Oh, it's... It's super exciting. It's really fascinating. And I'm sure that those decisions on when to push and give more challenges versus when to pull back also varied based on the dog and maybe how soft they were, how confident and bold that they were. Yeah, it's 100% based on the dog. So you have to take it super individually and just see how they behave and uh, be very very conscious of the behavior because they show very very quickly you learn the really subtle um things that the dogs do especially when they're up uh, up in front you will notice uh straight away when there's something they don't like they're uncomfortable or they're unsure and so on so sometimes people ask like don't you get bored when you're out on a sled it's like like no i'm i I sometimes even have to remind myself, oh, look around, it's super pretty, because when you're actually out for a long run, and especially when you're focusing on on teaching young lead dogs, the eyes are on the dogs all the time, all the time you are looking how they behave in certain situations, and maybe you have to switch up if something isn't working, so it's, it's always on the team, it's going up and down, up and down, from the first dog to the last one, then up and down. And there, there are, even though like a newbie doesn't maybe see them, like the subtle movements of the ears, uh, how much do they look back is very important. And when you have to take turns, are they the ones who are taking turns or how are they resisting? Are they following the older lead dog? This is everything that you see really quickly if you just 
look at them. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I imagine that from day one, your responsibilities varied quite differently from your responsibilities by, you know, the end of that year or your second year into it. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of the tasks you had on a daily basis in terms of dog care or training the dogs? So when I first started out, we were there in autumn time, which was autumn training. So no guests, only dogs. And we hooked up uh, 14 dogs in front of a four-wheeler. So we had quite a lot of control. And this is why I really loved that training process. It was training for me as well, because with a four-wheeler, you have control, you have the brakes, you don't have to worry that they pull the four-wheeler away. So you can go and fix something if something needs to be fixed. So at first it was just training and the first weeks, I think it was two weeks that we, we didn't even go alone. There, we were always two people on the four-wheeler and uh, one driving and one sitting next to. So if something happened, we could, you know, help each other or just coach each other. So, it, yeah, at the, and at the beginning, we always had somebody like the older guide or the owner sitting with us. So they were, but they have done this for so many years, you know, 30 years of keeping a kennel. They know how to train dogs and they know how to train guides. So the process was very nice and uh, smooth. I didn't feel like I was thrown into the deep water because they had such a, like a long experience with, with, with basically training new guides. So I felt very safe because all of the steps that we did were like guided and supported. But first it was just feeding dogs, taking care of them and training. And then once the guests started to come, then we started to have more responsibilities with the guests, either on the sled or we also did tours when the guests had their own little team. So you were the first guide and then you had two to six small sleds behind you. So then the focus went from only from dogs to guests and dogs. And then, of course, all of the responsibility of uh, making sure that all of the dogs are okay. So we didn't have, uh, or I was uh, still in this kennel as well. Uh, I do all of the work from feeding and cleaning and making the teams and also guiding, being with the guests out on the trails, so everything. And I think it's really nice because then I have more time to be with the dogs and see how they behave because it's really important to know how somebody runs how much they eat if there's something wrong with the poop you see everything so gradually that that responsibility just rose and uh, yeah first you had two guests behind you with two teams and then you had six three five six until six uh we it just was our kennel um policy that uh, we don't do more than six because then you just don't see them you know like right. on the trail in the forest you just don't see them uh, if the tail is so long and then from shorter trips uh, they lunch trips to overnight trips and to like multi-day trips uh, but that came like at the end of the first season uh in the next season so so you did during that time also get some experience with those overnight trips, which I imagine 
you maybe had a little experience with from overnight backpacking and stuff with your dogs, but I imagine that that set you up for the big adventure that you took, which is on our list to talk about later today. Yeah, a little bit, but I have to say that the overnight trips that we did were into cabins. So what I did get from that, how to take care of dogs out, because the dogs stayed outside mm-hmm. uh, when we did overnight. So uh, the dogs had their own like dog yards, dog kennels at the kennel. But when we were out, they were like we were out camping sort of for them. So I learned how to deal with that from there. And that was super beneficial. Mm, but what we did and what set me up for doing my own like camping trips with the dogs uh, or like ski trips was at the end of the season when the guests guest season died down a little bit and the conditions were still, still super nice in the mountains so we just went with guides uh, and did our own trips uh, with the guides and that was super fun and then we had you know, eight or nine dogs and uh, tents and stakeout lines and dog kitchens. So we learned like how to do everything like out wild, wild, while sleeping in a tent and having all of this camping next to that as well. So that was, I think that was the most beneficial thing that we, that we did that made me uh, secure enough to actually go on that Kungsled and hike that I did uh, last year now. Yeah. Yeah. So transitioning, I imagine was like you mentioned a bit of a relief because that's a lot of work and you probably don't get a lot of time just for yourself. So after that big season of training dogs and taking care of the clients that were coming up, you then kind of took a little break and got to enjoy some time in the van with your dogs traveling around. And I think that this idea is super exciting for a lot of people because I'm seeing a lot more people kind of ditching the traditional lifestyle of living in a house and staying in one place. A lot of people are wanting to travel a lot more and see a lot more and bring their dogs around, whether that's a long weekend racing in their van or spending, you know, months. I have a friend right now down in Ecuador with her van doing conservation work. Like I think this idea is just becoming a lot more interesting to people. So talk to us a little bit about van life. Was it, you know, I imagine that taking out on the road by yourself comes with a lot of excitement, but also a lot of challenges. Yeah. uh, Before, before sharing experience with uh, like a technical or like fun details of van life I think I have to say because I I don't think I have shared here uh, I now uh, after retiring my first dog who was a mixed uh, like medium-sized breed dog doggy to my mother I took uh, after my first season I took a puppy Alaskan Husky from the neighboring kennel because I really wanted an active dog because my old dog decided she doesn't want (laughs) to hike with me anymore. So, of course, after working with Alaskan Huskies, you fell in love with with the breed. And it's like, like, I can't leave here without a dog. So I took a puppy, Linka. Uh, She's three years now. And after my second season up in the north, I adopted a retired sled dog. At that time, she was eight years old. Now she's nine. Um, because uh, like eight is a little bit early to completely retire a dog but you know 
every dog is different and they tell us when it's time to retire so she was already showing that she she's done with the high pace high pace kennel life that this kennel had because it was quite you know quite a lot of trips per day per week Um, it's a young dog's world so she she we decided that she will retire and because she was so sweet it's like I have to take her and my thought was I already have one dog I have to like manage my whole life around this one dog it doesn't hurt to have a second one right spoiler alert it's a big thing (laughs) yeah that transition from (laughs) from one to two is pretty big yeah, 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 definitely don't have the same thought as I did that it doesn't matter anymore or it's it matters sometimes because my first dog, uh, she's a little reactive. So that adds a ton of things to the life and uh, and everything. So uh, there is a big handful with two dogs, especially when one needs extra attention. Fortunately, the second one, the old, old, older, old lady Odessa, she's super chill, and I think she adds to the dynamic of trying to calm down the the little pack that we have. Anyway, after after two seasons, I had two sled dogs. Not gonna have a third one after this third season. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, then I. Yeah, decided that I will buy a van and build a van because I, the reason why was because I didn't know where I want to stay. So it's like, if I don't know where I want to stay, like even in country wise, I didn't know if I want to stay in Estonia or Sweden or Finland, Norway, whatever. So I thought I will, I will just travel around until I feel that some place is inviting me. And I don't have a big van. It's a small Ford Transit. It's a low roof and short body. Um, so it's very tiny and my dogs they are not the tiniest they're not the biggest but they're both like 25 kilos so like moderate dogs mm-hmm. could take up space uh, so that that was one trick like not trick but one thing that I had to learn how to live in this tiny space so we are all happy and healthy and don't kill each other right <laughs> basically um I have forgotten what your uh, initial question was oh just kind of sharing you know pros and cons of van life I, I and that's I imagine one big one is that you don't have a lot of space and with larger dogs you probably have to be uh very mindful about how you set things up inside, as well as what kind of activities you plan for each day to make sure that they've got that space to kind of stretch out and and live good lives. Yes. Okay. This is a very uh, good topic because um, I struggled at the beginning a lot how how to set up our daily schedule so that I am happy and the dogs are happy because Alaskan Huskies in general, they're quite chill, but they still need to have that go time that running time if you don't give that to them especially to my younger dog she she twists her mind up even more that than she has it genetically so i i'm i'm gonna spare with all of the struggle or the steps that i did i'm just gonna share what i found that works so nice and maybe it gives tips for people who want to do it with their dogs so I figured out that 
as long as I can offer them the long distance pulling work, they are super nice, calm, relaxed during rest time. Uh, so for that, I needed to uh, take a bike with me. So I bought the bike rack, put it at the back of my van. I have my bike now wherever I go. I have it with me. I have basically bike drawing equipment, the little antenna at the front. And then because I was traveling with a van in uh, south of Europe, and although I was traveling there during winter time, it was still warm and you can't like exercise or train uh, your Arctic sled dogs in super warm weather. So what I did is wake up before sunset, set up the bike because that was the coolest time of the day, like around five degrees, seven degrees was uh, when I went out as well, but just slower. Uh, sometimes it was close to zero, but the coldest time is the beginning of the day. So I, it was hard, but I woke up before the sun, sunrise, set up the bike and did a run from half an hour to an hour on a bike. And then when I when we came back, I had my breakfast, I had my coffee, and then we did the day. And that was essential for them to get their exercise and the rest of the day to be quite chill. So then we had our little routine that I did my uh, like four hours of computer work. They were totally like happy to sleep. And then during lunchtime or after after lunch, we did a little walk. But you know, you can't walk is not an exercise for the dog so it was just to sniff around a little bit um, and they were happy and that worked really well uh, having the bike with me was the key so uh, at first I tried running but you know having two dogs doing like uh, canic cross it was it was a nightmare for me and my knees and my sanity because they were just too strong pulling so I would invite people to like set a, set aside a time to like really focus on the dog during the day. Uh, and then it is more the likelihood of everybody being nicer and relaxed is much higher. Yeah. I, you know, I think that applies no matter what kind of life you're living too, because I think oftentimes it can be easy for us to maybe not want to get up super early or, you know, maybe we've got, we got to get coffee before we do things, but by prioritizing the dog's needs right away, you're making sure that they have that outlet that they need. And it makes it so much easier for them to relax the rest of the day so that you can actually get some things done. It just, you know, takes a little bit of schedule planning. I imagine that being in the van, you were able to go see quite a bit of different things and explore and experience um, a lot so, of new. So uh, yes and no. Uh, I was able to, of course, drive to many places, but at the same time, having two big dogs, one of them is a retired sled dog, doesn't know anything about walking on a loose leash, like forget about it. Uh, and the other one, reactive dog. So maybe it's super helpful, yeah, to share the struggle because I, at first I had this idea, I'm going to go, I'm going to see so many places. I can go everywhere. I just park my van and I can take the dogs and see, go sightseeing, whatever. But the reality was I couldn't do that because they were post both. Uh, and they're still in some way are, I'm working on it, but it's still, they're, they're sled dogs. It's very hard to teach them how to walk on a loose leash. Uh, 
Um, so I can't, I actually can't do the traditional sightseeing, looking around. Um, so I just had to accept for myself that my kind of travel is different. Mm -hmm. I started to prioritize finding nice camp spots where I can go bike riding with them. And my kind of sightseeing or seeing the nature, seeing the location was related to the bike riding. And that brought me back to so much new places and new experiences where I would have never gone before because I was on a map and looking a place, looking like a 10 kilometer loop on a nice trail, nice dirt trail that I could use with the dogs. And that kind of prioritization actually brought me to these really nice places instead of going to these other places that I maybe would have Googled about. So right. I had to, I had to sacrifice that side, but I won on the other side. But I just had to let go of the mentality that uh, travel is something that needs to look like this. Yeah. So like I would I would say my dogs are quite high maintenance, meaning that I have to have my eyes on them all the time. So one of the younger one is reactive. I can't let her off leash because she would run away. She maybe would cause trouble. Just, uh, you know, she, she, she doesn't listen to me as much. She has a very high um, prey drive. So whatever small things running around, she would just go and fly. And, not, and it doesn't help that she, she doesn't tire out, you know. <laughs> and the other one, the older one, she's actually deaf uh, from birth. Uh, so uh, she has lived with that her entire life, but I can't have like callback cues for her. So I have to have both of the dogs on leash all the time. And this is how I, but I, but I, I still can do the van travel, you know, it's like I just figured out I have a really long three meter leash that I attach to the van. The dogs can come in and out. So most of the times when I'm parking, I have my door open and they can come in with the leash, sleep, choose the place, or they can go out of the van and just in a three meter radius, they can sniff around. This is like our parking position. Uh, and when I want to do something with them, I either take the bike and go uh, for a run with them. That's the easiest way because then they are focused on their work. Or when I feel that I'm up to the challenge, I go for like a walk with them. But then I have two pockets full of treats because I need to be prepared to guide them <laughs> with the treats, what I need them to do uh, for attention or whatever. So I had had to adjust my expectations a lot. But once I realized that the expectations is just some weird thing that you see online that one person does and there are 100 people that live their lives differently mm -hmm. so I would encourage if you have a reactive dog old dog young dog whatever big or small you just adjust and then you both can have a really fulfilling life uh, traveling I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think especially now in our current time with kind of the height of social media it's very easy for people to only see that positive side and think, oh, well, they must just be living the dream. And then if somebody tries to go do something new that maybe they were inspired by and they encounter some challenges, they're like, well, this just won't work for me. But I think this idea of like all of our dogs, no matter where we are at, 
are imperfect. All of us as people are imperfect and that's okay. And things can still be good. We just need to make sure that we're, you know, evaluating our current situation and having realistic expectations. And it might not look exactly like you may have thought or exactly like what you think their life looks like, but we can still find all of those positives and still really live and lead a fulfilling life as long as we're kind of keeping those expectations of ourselves and of our dogs in check. Yeah, especially uh, the moment that I realize that I am cause, causing that frustration to myself because if you have a reactive dog you know exactly what I'm talking about you have a like a lunging barking dog on the leash and you just you you can't compute and then you you're so frustrated why do they not listen to me <clears throat> when I realize that the frustration comes from my expectation on her and it's not her fault that she was born with the brain that she has you know and I need to adjust my environment and the behavior so we can both, because she doesn't like it as well. You know, right. I mean, she, she also is uh, very upset that she sees somebody there and she can't go there. So yeah, taking those expectations away and adjusting and uh, a huge part was just inner work, trying to see like what, what I can do for myself to, um, minimize that frustration and the second part was a trainer dog trainer I uh, I hired a private dog trainer and we actually did our training because I was traveling with a van and we did our training through zoom and the messages so it was uh, sort of like okay I have this issue how can I handle it and she sent me instructions I tried them I sent feedback and she said like okay yes this try this and I sent videos to her uh, about situations or training sessions and another great example you can do dog training even even if you don't have access to the trainer you want in your area and of course the process was longer and it uh, required some extra effort but it was invaluable because you don't know everything and you only see your dog in one way and they see it on the other way and can help a lot. So I would definitely encourage um, investing that money to a trainer. If you if you feel that frustration with your dog, traveling or at home reaches to a level that you it's uncomfortable. So that was a big part. And after that, I had the tools to manage it and manage my own expectations and to select environments that would uh, best suit for my little family because that's what we are they can't say anything it is my responsibility to make sure that everybody is happy so although I can't go to cities and do city sightseeing but at the same time I have seen some super weird and interesting back roads in Norwegian mountains <laughs> you know yeah yeah definitely a unique experience and I love that you were able to get somebody else on your team to kind of help you work through this because no matter how long you've been in dogs, there are always new things to learn. And sometimes just getting that extra outside eye to be able to help you navigate those new situations can be tremendously helpful, you know, to kind of coach you through that process. Cause with anything new that you learn, there's always going to be a learning curve and you might not always get it right the first time around, but with a little bit of practice and continuing to kind of explore new territory, you'll be able to learn 
more tools for that toolbox to keep helping you find success. I imagine that a lot of these bigger adventures that you have done have kind of been similar in that manner where maybe you had a little bit of a base knowledge and then had to continue learning and continue learning. And I think that's one thing that I found really interesting when I first came across some of your content with your bigger hikes that you have done and your bigger excursions is I've done a lot of small things, but I've never done anything more than four days, you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how you would prepare for something that big and that impressive. I wouldn't even know where to begin. So talk to us a little bit about how you prepare yourself mentally, right? And physically to kind of start packing and planning some of these bigger backpacking trips or the King's Trail hike that you did. The first thing is to know that everything has to come from step to step. I start, I did my first solo overnight backpacking trip in 2016. So not very long ago. It was my first time when I was out alone and it was in summertime in Estonia and I was so scared. I was so scared. I didn't have a lot of gear knowledge, uh, but that's how I started, you know. And actually before that, I had never done a, a solo like overnight trip anywhere. And I tried to do it just as a car camping trip. And I thought I would sleep in a tent. I was so afraid that I slept in the car. And, you know, these are the steps you need to build on. So first, you know, car camping, then uh, overnight hiking trips, and then two night hiking trips, and then four nights, and then a week, and then 10 days, if you want to do long things, or you switch up your environment, where do you go? So over the years, I switched up my levels on summer hiking and by 2019 which was three years later I was like okay winter a next level so I started to do the winter hikes but I said as beginning I said our training process to be a uh, like a wilderness guide and uh, sled dog musher in the arctic was also very gradual we started out very slow or like very small steps of course at that time this small step felt huge right because every every step I felt a little bit scared and I think that's a, like a really good sign that you are taking the right step because then you advance and you learn so by 2022 I was like okay I am experienced enough to take the, the, the next step of doing like a month long winter through hike with my dogs because I had done all of these other things. I had been out with dogs before on, on the mountains, but with a team, you know, with other people. And uh, I had been out uh, with my one dog for a few days in, in the snow. So all of these other steps are a requirement to do these bigger things. So if you wanna if you wanna end up doing these big things, you you just you you have to de- take a little step from your current level. And feeling afraid uh, is totally normal. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed part one to my conversation with Mayu. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving us a little positive reinforcement. Just like our dogs like positive reinforcement for their behavior, I too enjoy some rewards in the form of a five-star review. So consider heading over to your podcast platform of choice and leaving us some feedback. And if you'd like to take it a step further, don't forget about our Patreon page. You can become a member for as little as a dollar a month and help us with podcast fees so that we can continue to bring you new episodes every other week. Thanks for listening. So, until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails. Thank you.